0: Thank you very much for tuning in to MIT Podcast, MIT for Mindset into Transformation. Every single thing that you're doing in your life requires a certain mindset that drives you or motivates you to do. And so your mindset will uh, impact every decision that you're making. And those decisions essentially build up and determine your future. Um, today, we are very excited to have a great friend of mine, Kent, to come to our podcast to share about his real estate journey, how he become who he is right now, which is amazing. You have to listen to his story. And um, at the same time, I, I, I would love to talk to him about how he can help you succeed. Kent, again, thank you very much for your time uh, coming to our podcast and I'm uh, looking forward to our conversation today. Dude, what's up, man? I am so excited to be here. Um,
1: dude, thank you so much for having me on onto your podcast. I've seen some of your guests on your old episodes, and you have some heavy hitters on here, man. So I, I am just feeling very grateful that you were so gracious to share your platform with me, man. And I guess I just tell your audience a little bit about myself. So my name is Thanks Ken. I am known as the affordable housing guy. Uh, I became a millionaire after making $350,000 on my first real estate deal with my partner. And from that point onwards, I really kind of set on a mission to dedicate my life to sharing my mission of creating more affordable housing. And this is really stemmed from uh, my parents' story. So just for everyone's little bit of background, my I'm first generation Chinese immigrant. Uh, my dad came over from China with about $1,000 in his pocket. My mom's first job over here, she made about $3 an hour. And she tells me this story all the time where one night they had $5,000 out of cash because they were getting ready to bring that back home to China and to repay some of the relatives to thank them for getting them over to the States. It was a two-bedroom apartment. Nine of us were living in there. But for some reason that night, none of us were, were in that apartment that day. And someone climbed into the second floor window through the kitchen window and stole everything. And that for them was like rock bottom, they, they lost $5,000. And I don't know if any of your listeners can imagine losing a year's worth of salary all in one night, but that's what happened to my parents. And the lesson here isn't about how bad it was, it's about bad things will happen to anybody, but it's really how you come back from them that determines the type of person that you are. And for them, my mom's really kept going because she had hope. And I hope came from being on a wait list for affordable housing. Now, she waited about three and a half, four years to get her own apartment unit to move out of that cockroach infested apartment where if you turn on lights, you can hear the, the cockroaches go kh, 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 like running around. It was gross. But she was in tears, man, when she got her first affordable housing unit. And I am still so grateful today for that opportunity. And now, this is why I'm on a mission to create the largest affordable investment community in the world because I really imagine anyone that I put into one of these apartments to be helping someone like my mom. And this is why I'm so passionate towards it. And that's why I have a podcast uh, just like you, it's called affordable housing and real estate investing, where our goal is to demystify the process, pull back to current, remove the fear from people that want to get involved in affordable housing, whether or not you want to be a single family section eight landlord all the way up through towards a ground up construction, new developer. We're building apartment buildings and really making a dent on impact and creating more supply for affordable housing. So that's my Guys, story.
0: If, yeah. Guys, if you have been listening in, you would know that Ken is a awesome podcast host. So when he tell you that he has a podcast, I don't know what you're waiting for other than you got to finish this episode before you go over there. But um, Ken is awesome. And one other thing I want to emphasize is that he just mentioned that it was a $5,000 loss for her, I mean his his family, five thousand may not sound a lot right now, but hey, he was saying that was a year worth of salary, a year. How much are you making right now? Think about what if you were to lose that money, right? So that impact is not as minimal as you think. And to be honest, that made a great deal to his family at the time. And um, but I guess this is what. Um, this is the reason why he was so blessed and become so, so awesome, right? Because he'd been through all that and really understand what his mission and, you know, how he can do goods to the, the community. So that's, that's, uh, that's, that's continuing our conversation. Kent, um, I, I love you. I love to have you on the, on the, on the podcast because I feel like I don't need to ask you anything and you would just tell everybody everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, I do have a question right now. Um, yeah, let's go so. For so, um, there's so many things out there for you to do, why, why real estate? I mean, there got to be some other choices, you know, um, you know, back to that time and, and what make you choose real estate?
1: I I love this question, man. You're a great interviewer, by the way. So I didn't expect to get hit with this question so soon. So while real estate, I think just silver lining during COVID was I read a lot of different books and I listened to a lot of podcasts, like the bigger pockets podcast, and I thought about a way where I can build wealth for my family while also doing good and giving back to the community. Now, that's why the first thing I pursued was short term rentals because I knew I had to create enough cash flow so I can leave my full time job and dedicate myself to real estate. So that's why I went short term rentals. But I always knew in my heart that I wanted to do affordable housing because in my mind, you have high risk, high cash flow, short term rentals, and you balance that on the other side with affordable housing, government-backed, recession-resistant investments. And for me, going towards that goal, like that's where I want to be. I want to make not that much money, but I want it to be predictable. And I also want to be helping people at the same time. So this is why I recommend affordable housing to folks, because now everybody says a generic term, oh, I want to help people. I just want to help people. But they don't come up with a plan on how to help people. They don't have an avenue to help people. And for me, I used to work as an EMT. I was EMT responding to 911 calls in greater Boston area for about five years. I started at 12 bucks an hour. I left at like 15 something. Nobody is gonna answer 911 calls in the future when there's another pandemic for 15 bucks an hour. So who is there helping people that are helping people? Nobody. So Mm -hmm. if you really wanna think about it, right? I think about it from the perspective of my kids and this is gonna sound cliche, but the only way I'm gonna be at peace when I die is whether or not I've helped enough people in my life that I know that they're like, hey, that's Kent's daughter. If she's ever in trouble, how do I go help him out? Because his family has helped my family so much in ways that I can't even imagine or count. And for me, that's the only way I'll feel at peace is like, have I helped enough people so that they'll look out for my family? Because what do they say? Well, it only lasts about three generations and it disappears. Like, God forbid something happened to someone down my lineage line. And for some reason, they cannot get an affordable housing rent because there wasn't enough supply. I'll be damned if I let that happen. Because right now in San Diego County, the wait list for affordable housing is 12 to 15 years. 12 to 15 years. Imagine if you're a single mom, you just found out you're pregnant, you're trying to get out of a bad area. Like 12 to 15 years is too late. Mm -hmm. When I was in affordable housing, it was seven years. Like like I told you, my mom waited three and a half, four years in like the 1980s. Like this is a problem that has gotten worse. And if we don't start looking out for one another, I think humanity will be in trouble. And I think... This is the time to show people that, one, we're there for each other. We're all in this together. And affordable housing through real estate is not only a great way for you to build wealth, but you can help whatever population you care about. Whether or not that's veterans, women of domestic abuse, uh, foster children that's aging out of the foster system with no place to go. Whatever you want, whatever population you care about, there is a way to help that population through affordable housing. And your why needs to be so much more important. That's why I love affordable housing. Whoever you want to help. Help those groups of people. But you can build wealth at the same time. You can make money. And pro- affordable housing is could be one of the most profitable ways to invest in real estate. Build wealth and help whatever folks you want to
0: help. So Love hopefully it. that
1: answered your question.
0: <clears throat> yes, it does. It, it, it over-answered my question, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I truly believe that if you want to make big buck, you have to target big enough problem. And yes. what is the biggest issue that we have in real estate? Supply is way less than demand, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people need housing, but no nobody could 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 help with that because it just takes longer time to build and all that. Right. And you are seeing great entrepreneurs who are trying to solve this problem, like Elon Musk, you know, he's building the boxable whatever, right? And you know, affordable housing is the other, right? And uh, you know, for, for people who are you know at your position like Ken you're trying to make sure that you can maximize your ability to help people from the affordable housing perspective i think it it would be a great focus if we could build some sort of system that allow the capital to realize this is where the capital the capital duplicate will multiplied right so um if you know we're in the in the capitalism you know world and If the free market sense that this is the right place to be in, then the money will flow there. So help us understand on what the numbers look like in terms of affordable housing. um, And of course, versus, you know, other, you know, multifamily housing or whatnot. Like why specifically affordable housing, the goods and bad um, or whatever detail that that you think the investor should know about.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So let me start with three scenarios. Uh, I'm going to go through an example about a single family home section eight, uh, rental that I have under contract. I mean, they already closed. I'm a, I'll go through a, a pad split really quick, which is a co-living model. And then I'll go through third, which is a new construction way to kind of go about it. And you just stop me whenever you have any questions. But let's start with single family section eight. So what y- your listeners need to really think about is one, section eight essentially is a government subsidy program that allows the renter with a voucher, which is called the housing choice voucher, to rent out a room for a market rate home, but they don't have to pay more than 30% of what they make. So let's just say the market rent is $1,000 and you make $1,500 a month. You don't pay more than 500 bucks because that's a third of what you make, but then the government will come in and pay that last 500 bucks to make that $1,000 market rent. Now, if you ever lose your job or from a landlord's perspective, if you lose your job, what happens? Well, the government is going to come in and plug the rest of it because they have the voucher and they cannot pay more than a third of what they make. And if they make nothing, then they don't pay anything. But this is why it's so recession resistant. So even if your tenant loses a job, the government will still keep paying rent. And on top of that, because of the big demand in affordable housing, like I just told you, 12 to 15 years for a housing choice voucher. There is a stigma around folks that are in affordable housing that is ne- sometimes the media will say it's guns, drugs, and drama in the ghetto. But really, these are just good, kind, hardworking folks, just like my mom, who needs a stable home over their kids. And guess what? They are actually incentivized to not trash your home because they don't want to lose that voucher that they wasted so many years waiting for. So uh-huh. in reality, that's why it's actually a better investment to you, not only from a guaranteed rent perspective, but it helps hold your tenant accountable because there's yearly inspections on the quality of the home. And on top of that, you're managing and keeping your vacancy expenses, which is one of your biggest expenses when it comes to real estate. So that's on the single family side for your 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 guests to think about. Then we have Pat split, which is just a co-living model that we're under contract for. And you can rent out, buy the room. You can take a four or five bedroom property, turn into eight, nine, 10 bedrooms, and these are the folks that are making minimum wage think about like working at a amazon fulfillment center your uber drivers hourly workers airport workers right they are not they make too much money to be qualifying for section eight potentially but they still need a place because they're hardworking folks they just want a place closer to employment instead of driving an hour and a half to the airport maybe they find a home that can rent a room for that's 10 minutes from the airport and now some of these states save a lot of money on on gas, and they don't really spend more than 150 to 200 bucks a week renting out their room, which is really how much they can pay if you assume like a $15 minimum wage. So that's another way to create affordable housing. But now you can have a little bit higher cash flow, a bite slightly a little bit more risky because there isn't a government-backed subsidy to it. Now let's go all the way to ground up construction. So I'm part of a company called Springboard RA. It's a consulting company that teaches aspiring developers and helps them think through the process and how do you actually approach a ground up development? And I'll talk about this one deal that we're looking at. It was about a 40-acre property. uh, $6 million was the purchase price. And we did a preliminary plan on it just to kind of conceptualize how many units we can build on it. Using very round numbers here, right? If that property was worth uh, where we can build 900 apartments on it and you value each piece of each unit at $20,000 for each entitlement, that land is now worth $18 million after you get the entitlements. Now you still have to go through the public hearings. You still gotta get architects and engineers involved and do all the drawings. But now what, what happened? You just bought, you just turned a $6 million property into $18 million without ever showing any dirt. But here's here's the real magic. This is, this is the secret sauce. If you are a great negotiator, you can talk with your seller and say, hey, I can't really put that much money on my earnest money deposit EMD because Mr. Seller, I'm going to spend all this money on the third-party reports, like my phase-run environmental study, my topographical survey, my tree survey, getting all the water plants in place and talking with the cities and engaging architects and engineers. Mr. Seller, if, if I don't close on this property, I will give you all the reports, which is going to be of value to you anyways, because that shows me I have skin in the game. right? Mm-hmm. And now the next level is, well, Mr. Seller, I can't buy the property because Honestly, like no developer will really buy property unless there's a clear path to getting your zoning change or your entitlements. So from that perspective, you say, Hey, I can't close on this property until then, but now what can you do? You can now have an $18 million piece of property. So when you get an entitlements, you can get a 15, I mean, a 50, five, zero percent LTV loan on it to pull back out 9 million. Now you take $6 million to pay off the seller. And then you take the last three million to pay off your architect and JS to get to your preliminary plat, hold on, and hold then on. also so, to get your construction docs in place to get your building permits.
0: How do you get a nine million again? Can you repeat
1: that? Half of the eighteen million that's worth now.
0: And you use that to uh, what? 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 What collateral that you're using to get that fund? The land. The land is collateral now because you are taking a loan against
1: the land, but the land has increased in value because now you have entitlements. So you report, can get a third party. Yeah. yeah, so you can get a third party appraiser that says like, "Hey, if this plan is entitled for nine hundred units, then it will be worth eighteen million dollars." And any lender, I shouldn't say any, but lenders will be like, "Oh, there's nine million dollars equity on this property. I'll, yeah, I'll lend fifty percent on it for a certain interest rate." But this is this is our this is the go part. What do you just do if you negotiate that deal? you just got an $18 million piece of property with little mo- little money out of your pocket. Cause you didn't put that much EMD. You probably spent like a couple hundred grand and you probably finance that couple hundred grand for all your architects and engineering engagements to get your entitlements. But now you you have the funds to get your blueprints in place, your construction docs in place and get your construction permit. And now after you build it, it'll probably be worth even more money. But Here that's just a, one of the tips that we give to some of our clients at Springboard RA. Um, but obviously everything has to be in the right place. The criteria gotta be in place. You gotta have investors for it, but this is what we do. Um, but this is one way for your mindset to be expanded where you can make a significant difference in affordable housing and not be scared. Cause that's why we started a consulting company. Cause we know how scary it is to become a developer. Cause you don't know the terminology. You don't know what the steps of the process. You don't know who to hire, but we have that in place now. So hopefully that answered your question. That was a really long winded one.
0: It does. It does. And I love that. And at the same time, um, you know, uh, you you will be making a lot of money out of it, right? This this is not just that you're doing it because you are doing it, because you know at the same time you also make a lot of money out of it. Um, the other point that I want to bring up is that I I would want to say like 99.99% of the investor will just be up about from you know the moment they hear about six million, right? If you if you see an M word and you feel scared about it and you just ultimately turn your head around, then you're missing this big deal. Right? And how can a deal be a good deal? A lot of time it takes creativities and education, understandings, information, all that. And this is why a lot of people has been focusing on uh you know ROI, which is return on investment. But in reality they should focus on on the you know uh, return on information. Right? Uh, what can just show just show show with you is that when you know about the process more and when you practice the process and you will bring yourself to a level that you are not afraid of the process and then you can start doing bigger and bigger deal. When you feel like you're stuck, you cannot find good deals around you. It is just because you're operating in the same level of majority of people are operating in. So level yourself, learn about new, new stuff and even you know, consult with experts like Kent and his company. Um get back getting back to affordable housing. Ken, uh, what are the what are the projections for the affordable housing that that you guys are seeing potentially you know we can add into the supply? Um, is there some sort of market study that you guys have handy and you know trend they can share with our audience?
1: Oh, so let's talk about this, right? Every market is going to be different. And this is what I learned from my mentor, Alvin Hope Johnson, who you've had on the podcast before, is that everybody says they need affordable housing, politicians, the city, blah, 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 blah. But for you to truly understand what the absorption rate looks like for your market, you really got to hire an engineering firm to do a market study that says, like, hey, assuming that this apartment building is going to be built for 185 units, what is the job? job growth, population growth, who's the employers, what is the population or demographic mix of the property so that you can determine what you're going to build for for your property. So if you just went the way I told you, right, and you got $18 million property, technically your, your return on investment is infinite because mm-hmm. you didn't put any no capital money. in there. Yeah. right? For me, one of the deals I just closed on the single family side, I did 2.5% um, interest rate. It was a fully seller finance deal, 15% down, 2.5% um, seller Finance interest rate on the whole loan with a ten-year balloon. Like I'll probably make about four hundred dollars of cash flow right now, but I'm going through a recertification process where I'm trying to raise the rents to a thousand dollars because uh, it was a a tenant who was an amputee and we wanted to build a wheelchair ramp for her. And for us going through the renovation process was additional investment, but it made a better quality of life for the tenant. But we also had to get it inspected by the housing authority to qualify for the rent increase. So once we get up there, we'll probably make about. 400, probably make about six, 700 bucks of cash for a month from that property on one, one deal. So six 700 bucks a month, you only need a couple of those to replace a full-time job. That's why I'm saying like, you can choose how you want to get involved in affordable housing and determine the risk and tolerance, uh, your risk tolerance level for your investment appetite. So that's all the things that, that your investors should take into consideration. But this is why we share all strategies because I think if you start in single family, but you are ready to move forward, we want to show that there is almost like a career path, like corporate America, where you can graduate from single family all the way towards new ground-up construction development, because it's just a bigger deal with more zeros. But sometimes you can be even more creative the bigger the deal that you have.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, if you if you go if you go to a bank and say, "Hey, bank, I don't have ten million to put down for this project," that would make more sense than you go to the bank and say, "Hey, I don't have a thousand to put put down for the projects." Right. So, um, and, 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 that, and that is how big deals work. Um, and Kent, I, I, I really appreciate you sharing all these, uh, you know, affordable housing world. Um, and for you guys who are listening in right now, if you are just getting into real estate, it's very important that you pick a niche and focus on that, just like Kent has picked, you know, affordable housing. Pick one, make sure you fully understand what that is about and how to operate in, and then figure out what's the corporate ladder look like, just like what Kent just said, right? There's always a path forward, and if that is not clear to you, maybe it's time to, uh, you know, work with a mentor or work with, with a consulting company like, you know, Kent is, is is um, you know, uh, a part with. Kent, um, in terms of affordable housing, that is not my zone, but if there's any question that I should have asked and I uh, I am unprofessionally not asking, please show us this.
1: Um, well, let's see the, the biggest fight that I'm having that I'm fighting right now is to dispel the myth that section eight tenants will wreck your property. And I think this is just so important for me to emphasize again, where Again, there's so many layers of protection because your your tenants are incentivized to not trash your home. Think about your Airbnbs, right? I have a couple of properties; they are bachelor themed, but they haven't trashed them. All. But they are susceptible to trashing their home. If people throw large parties. That can happen in a market rate apartment. That can happen in an Airbnb with even less repercussions versus an affordable housing housing choice voucher tenant. So just think about that, guys. Like this is a recession resistant one. If you are a very risk averse person, maybe you take a slightly lower cash flow deal, but then you know. You're going to get that rent every, every single month. And finally, I think the the one thing I will bring up is like, it's really a mindset question when it comes to real estate and the bigger the deal does not mean the more risky it is. Like the bigger the deal just means more levers for you to define to creativity and implement that creativity into your deal to make it a win-win for everybody. Uh, we're, we're not silly. We know that in order to create more affordable housing supply, it needs to be a win-win for everybody. It's got to be a win for the city so that they can solve some sort of their priorities for city planning. We have to address the investor's interest because they also want to build wealth for their family. And also we've got to provide a quality product so that you're not being a slumlord for your residents. They have to have a great quality of life there in order for them to feel like their kids can thrive there and not move out. And again, that keeps your vacancy expenses a lot lower. So there's just so many ways to succeed in affordable housing. And look, you really need to look into local incentives or state incentives for affordable housing. For example, uh, in, in Florida, they just passed an act as says the Live Local Act. And I forget what the exact percentage was, but they said, hey, if some po- portion of your development is affordable housing, the local municipality or county should not be able to prohibit any zoning changes. Now, does that mean you don't have to go through public hearings, your entitlements? You still have to go through that process. but. There is an incentive to move towards the space. And I think for folks that are interested in the space, I think you are joining the movement at the right time. And you just got to surround yourself with people that are doing this on a whole nother level. Like I'm still learning. And that's why I bring on guests all the time because I get to ask questions on behalf of our audience to say, what do you mean you're doing it this way? How how do you just make $8 million in three months flipping that hotel to, to the state and so that they can turn into affordable housing for homeless? $8 million in a couple of months, that's wild. How do you do that? Mm-hmm. But sometimes there are different avenues, especially if your heart is in the right place. Like you're doing it for the right reasons. You're not money hungry, but you understand how to understand everybody's priorities and piece together the solution that makes it a win-win-win for everybody. And I think that's also how you win. And for me, having had so many partners, and again, this is not a solicitation for investments. I'm not. It's not financial legal, uh, tax mm-hmm. advice. This is me talking to my partners, caring about what they care about, because sometimes people truly want to invest in the calls that they care about. So the mindset is no longer, I have no money, which is the mindset I grew up with. It's like, Oh, I can't afford that. I can't afford that. Well, go out there and, and invest into yourself and develop a skill. How I've been able to create trust with people is like, I learned how to analyze and underwrite deals to see what is a deal. And I openly share that with my audience so that they can figure out how to buy a property on their own. And I think that's what I really harped on. Like my, my approach is to give away all the information for free so that technically my investors and my partners, they don't, they don't need me. I I say it really clear and upfront to them. I was like, you don't need me, but because of that attitude and my mentality of really looking out for their family's interests and their livelihood and their wealth, that's, what's going to attract capital to you guys. So the question should no longer be, I don't have money or how do I get money? It's more like, what skills do I need to invest in to help other people that will naturally help as many people as possible? And you, that's when the magic really happens, man. I'm sure you you see that. Like, what, what are your thoughts here?
0: Yeah. So, uh, well, now see how how great the uh, podcast host can this, right? But you know, I I I, I witness a lot of um, uh, awesome deal happened from the initial motivation of helping people instead of making money. Like, a lot of people are coming from a a perspective of how to make more money and they and then they would jump on Jillow, jump on you know refine and look for deals look for prices and look at how much monthly payment would be and how much rent it would be and how much I can make here and there then you're just like another 10,000 or if not one 10 million people are doing right this is where the small smallest money are being filed for right but if you're coming from a perspective that you're trying to solve a big enough problem and Truly invest in yourself. Um, I don't know. I'd probably Alex, uh, Tomozy was saying something about that. Invest, don't invest in S&P, invest in and Mini. Invest in yourself, making sure that you understand your, what your mission is. And when you tackle those large issues, the money will come, you know, yourself. So if you tell me that you have no money, you can't invest in real estate. Or if you, if you tell me that you have no money, you can't do this, you can't do that. Then, maybe invest yourself first.
1: Mm, great point, man. Um, I, I got a question for you, man. like, what do you think is the habit or or mindset shift that you have learned that has made the biggest impact so far in in your profession Because I, I see you growing, man, like I see the things you're doing, you're buying businesses, and I see a tremendous like your upside is so, so, so high. And I can see it because of your mindset and your determination to succeed and, and build wealth for your family and do the right thing for people. What what, what have you learned so far? Like what's like if it's one skill or one mindset shift or one habit? Like what
0: do you think is the most important that you would share with your audience? I think from, from here, we should be switching to, um, you know, Kent's podcast. But, uh, <laughs> but, but yeah. Uh, I that's... You know it's not scripted, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's, that's actually a great question. I, I, I think it takes a lot of mindset shift. A lot it's never like one click and you will just fly it's it's really about me starting to talk about what i want to do what i think is right what i learned that sounds right and then keep digesting it so if you get to talk to my wife then she would tell you that benjamin is the type of husband who would just be blah 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 keeps talking about things that he learned the awesome people he was able to talk to and the awesome mindset he just learned Right, There's a lot of small things that change me. And um, I start to take different approaches to tackle the same issue. For example, I have been stuck in W2 for a long, long time um, until two weeks ago that I finally get out of W2 to focus on business, real estate investing, and all that. Um, and I initially thought that you know, getting off of W two is just like one day you you being so man and just send an email out to the boss and say, "Hey, I am out." No, that doesn't doesn't happen that way. It it would be like, "Oh, the boss wants you to do something that doesn't make sense to you, and then you start to figure out and say, that doesn't make sense. I'm not doing that." And when the boss come come back and asks you to do to do the stupid thing again, you just tell him, "Hell no, it doesn't make sense." And then the thing that doesn't make sense will grow and grow and grow until the moment that the company start, you know, having layoff and all that, then you encourage the, your boss to put you on the list. And to be honest, I was quite nervous. Uh, this year has been heck of the year to me. Uh, there's there's about five waves of layoff in the company that I work with from end of last year to like this month. And... There's like three wave already gone out, and i I was not on the list and what I learned about was that I'm not otis, I am actually a younger you know uh, team lead that i I'm being seen as a future you know um main you know the force to help the business to grow, so I'm not on the list, but then I talked to one of the management and tell tell them that hey. I know that guy is older than I am, but he he loved to work for you. He loved to work for the business. So if you lay him out and you don't lay me out, then you would end up having someone who doesn't want to work for you and up out. And yes, I'm younger, but it doesn't mean that you will get the productivity you want. So eventually I got my layoff package. Eventually I set myself free passively.
1: Well, dude, that, um, you know, some people will look at one of those things as like a big negative. You have a completely different mindset like, this is an opportunity. This is when I'm free. That's so, so beautifully said, man. This is really cool because I, I love that you brought up your W 2 and the the comment you said about, hey, I want to leave my W 2 job. I wish someone told me when I was younger. Here's a story I told a bartender. Um, I'm, I was at a bartender at his real estate in St. Louis, and I was talking to the bartender, and one of his goals was, um, He he has a kid. He's trying to build some wealth for him. But he's like, I just don't have any money. I'm at the bar every day. I'm working my butt off. I want to be able to quit. And I was like, dude, I just talked to this person right next to me. Who are they? There were two pharmacists. One's a physical therapist. One is like a doctor. And I'm like, you keep saying you don't have money. You have money right in front of you every single night that you can be talking about what you're doing in real estate, how you analyze deals, how you spot deals, and you can raise capital for them. Same thing for people in the W two job. If you're at a W two job that you don't really like, but you're not demonstrating that who you are as a person, everyone's watching. Everyone's looking at you and see what type of person are you. Are you the type? Are you a team player? Are you to talk bad about somebody when something isn't going well, or are you a team player that just steps up and does a thing? Because people are looking at your character, and if you know that everybody in your in your job, whether they're friends or colleagues, close colleagues, whatever you want to call them, everybody wants the same thing. Everybody wants the freedom of time to spend time with their families, to go on vacation whenever they want. They all want the same thing. Guess what? They also probably want to invest with you at some point. If you do and show that you're a good person, they trust you and you know how to spot a deal and you know how to operate a deal, that's a very, very good avenue for you to raise capital from Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: you are around so many people that are smart that want the same thing. You just didn't realize that that was it. You were so focused on leaving your job instead of looking at dude, these are all the people that can raise capital around. I really wish someone gave me that advice. And that's why I want to bring it up because you brought a really good point about the W2 job.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and, and if, if I can add one more thing here, really, you know, uh, if, if you want to do something, you speak it out loud, right? You want to be out of W2, you say it. And when you say enough, that will train your mind to think that way, right? You will naturally start learning about other things. Like it, it can... It doesn't have to be real estate. It can be a new business that you are about to form. It can be about a service that you want to provide. It can be anything. It can even be, you know, uh, investing um, on Star stock market with zero money down or whatever crazy thing that you can think of, right? I mean, if you keep telling yourself what you are going to become, then eventually that is going to happen. Um, one other thing I've truly learned about, and I hate to turn this episode between become something about me. should be more about Ken, but Ken, you just Ow. had that magic that caused me to talk. <laughs> um, so one thing I learned from my one of my mentors or a coach was that um, look 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 the person up on on, on LinkedIn and, and and look for the person who wanted who you want to become to, right? And see how that person been through, you know, career wise, educational wise. And reach out to them and ask them, how did you do this? How did you do that? Or who did you work with to get that? You will be surprised what answer you got. Because that's what I did about seven, eight years ago. I'm not going to tell you who I reached out to. But if that person is listening in, then he would know.
1: Dude, I, I love that because I think the the people you surround yourself with will truly affect your mindset and expand your horizon on what's possible and what's not. All those different strategies we talked about earlier, like I never thought they were possible. Sometimes you just need someone to say, hey, look, there's a path over here. You don't have to just walk that path. Sometimes that's all you need. And we assume sometimes that the path that we're on is the only path for us. Maybe there's like a slightly different path. Like, oh, I could take a job in a department. That's my only other path. No, there's a whole different world that's available to you. If you want to just open up your eyes and look a little bit further and and find the friends that really want to see you succeed. But this is just so important to, to surround yourself with loving family, loving friends, people that will support you no matter what and not be negative because those are the people Like that negative energy will drag you down. It'll cause self-doubt. I have self-doubt every day all the time, but you have to work on it and you have to surround yourself with the people that are doing it so that you don't feel like you're alone. And I I love how this got into like a more mindset conversation because it's like 80, 90% of what success looks like. It's how do you prepare yourself for the next level? And every time you feel uncomfortable, that's when you're really growing, man. That's it. Like every single time you're about to do something that you don't want to do, it's probably something that you should do. Like for me, I hated social media. I hate podcasting. I hate talking on a camera like I'm doing right now. But I was like, if I really care about this problem, solving for affordable housing, I need to get back on social media. Just like Benjamin said, like I have to talk about it because if I don't talk about it, who is, I need to be the change I want to see in the world. And I think Benjamin can point really well about reaching out to other people that are, that are doing this and asking them how they did it. But I will only add, like, don't forget that you are meant to be your own path. You don't need to compare yourself to other people learn from them for sure but you don't have to say like oh this person did in one year so that and because i'm doing in two years i'm a failure like don't think like that like everyone is on their own path like do what's right for you and just be a good kind person look out for other people's interests first and you will really 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 be successful you absolutely will i'm very confident about it if not in life then certainly in wealth and business and family and friendships like it will be so powerful it'll be so powerful. This is how the friendship and between myself and Benjamin happened. It's like, we just got on the phone, got on a Zoom, talked to each other and said, how can I help you? How can you help me? And we just focus on each other more than ourselves. And I think that's what great friendships are made out of. And that's how you build lifelong friendships because you don't want to do this on your own. You want to have great friends to challenge and have fun with and talk about the crazy stuff that we're doing. And be like, are you doing this? That's wild. Like that's Those are the type of friends I want to be around. So uh, Benjamin, like thank you, thank you so much for having me on your podcast I and mean, this has been of a course. really, really fun conversation.
0: Yes, of course. See, Ken is so good that I don't even need to say goodbye to him. But really, Kent, thank you very much for your time. Uh if I haven't said enough, um please do feel welcome to come back anytime if you have any other uh message you want to give to our audience and all that. And again, people if you're listening into this episode, I hope our conversation helped you to a level that start, uh, you know, you know, motivate you start taking action, because action is eventually what's going to change your life. And action doesn't need to be big, just be small, Mm, start talking about things that you want to do. Um, Thank you again for tuning into MIT podcast, and I will see you in the next episode.